Welcome, everybody. This is the 1111 Calling Podcast, and I am your host, Michelle Haynes. Today, we'll be chatting with Sarah Rossiter. Sarah is an artist, a writer, and a teacher. Her artwork has been shown in contemporary art galleries and museums around the world. An artist since childhood, she makes paintings, sculpture, and photography. Her current works are colorful, abstract paintings inspired by her surroundings in Hawaii. In addition, Sarah intuitively channels messages and paintings from artists who have crossed over to the other side, such as Georgia O'Keeffe. She is currently writing a book called God Was Not Cool in Art School. In her new podcast, The Psychic Artist, Sarah integrates her spiritual and artistic interests, shares what it's like to be intuitive and creative, and how to access that place inside all of us that is supremely psychic. She also leads Reiki trainings and offers psychic readings for people and animals. You can find out more at sarahrossiter.com. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. It's really awesome to be on your show. I'm super excited to have you on here. I can't wait to learn more about you. I love your artwork. I haven't looked at all of it, just more your more recent stuff, which looks like watercolor if I'm if I'm seeing correctly. Um, I don't know if you use more than one medium, but I, I love watercolor. So to me, I'm, I think I'm seeing watercolor on a lot of those. I work a lot with water, even though they're acrylic and watercolor and different kinds of paints. I just can't help adding water to everything I do. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and um, I even once made an installation where I filled a warehouse with water and like built a platform where you could walk around and just be surrounded by water. And then the images were on the walls. Um, and wow. I, I've always been inspired by water. So now that you remind me that with watercolor, it's like, and my daughter does this too. She'll just take, like, she'll sit down to paint and she'll have a, a cup of water. And the first thing she does is dump it all over the table and then start working. Nice. <laughs> That's how yeah. I work quite often. That's awesome. Well, being in Hawaii has got to be a nice area for that. And you're surrounded by water and beautiful color all the time. So I could see why you'd be inspired being there. It's really inspiring to be surrounded by this nature and that ocean. Yeah. 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 Really, I want to start with childhood for you. I always find it's interesting. Um, it can contribute and shape so much of, of who we are and how we start on our journey. So for me, I'm just curious what your childhood was like, where you grew up. And I also want to know how you got involved with art at such a young age. Um, well, let's see. I grew up in upstate New York, and uh, my father was a pretty um, um, radical hippie dude who um, raised me pretty much solo for part of the time. And he really um, just let me do whatever I wanted to do. So I was unsupervised most of the time, and I had a table with art supplies and just got to go for it from a young age. And I try to do that with my kids too, just put the materials out and let them experiment. And then um, as I grew up, my mother was an artist. Um, I was born when they were still like 17 and 18 in college. So she was in art school at Cornell. And that um, I think had a big effect on me. I think I chose to be born into a family with a lot of creativity. My, her father was an artist. Um, so I get it genetically and also just socially it was accepted. My father's mother, my grandmother also helped to raise me and she was very, um, it, uh, 
she really respected artists and very um, intellectually stimulated by art and constantly talking about art and literature and very in the world. Um, she was um, married to a professor at Cornell and very involved in the academic um, and political and sort of cultural, social, you know, events of the time. But I feel like all of that instilled this great respect in me for artistic practice and the life of an artist. Um, whereas yeah. society might not have thought that was so great. Like my mom, when she graduated from high school and wanted to be an artist, uh, was not really encouraged, you know, yeah. but in my generation, it was cool. Yeah. And it sounds like you had a lot of support within the family and just your environment in general for that, which is I great. think so. Yeah, I'm really grateful for that. And did your dad do some art too, or? He was a musician. He um, was both like a political scientist and musician and um, worked with children. So there was a a creative way of being that was a part of my household. Kind of, uh, I would say free for all, like just do whatever you want to (laughs) do. Yeah, do what's what's calling to you, right? And do it on your own. Like nobody told me what to do at any point. Yeah. And so growing up with that, when you were younger, what form of art or medium of art attracted you the most? Hmm. Well, I collected a lot of garbage from the dumpster. We lived upstairs in an apartment from a a drugstore and they would throw out all of their um, displays from the um, makeup and, you know, various displays in the store that might be selling objects and anything that was plastic or, you know, could be 10 feet tall and have all these like little pockets for pantyhose or something. And it would go in the dumpster and I would collect it and bring it into my room. (laughs) So I, um, I would say assemblage and sculpture. (laughs) I started collecting like a collage artist, the materials and creating worlds and at the time, I didn't think of it as art. Those were my playthings. Yeah. Um, and then later in New York City, when I went to art school, I remember walking home at night and I would collect things from construction job sites on the way. And um, a lot of my sculptural interests and, and collage and 2D artwork came from collecting things I found. And I'd actually like to get back to that. I don't do so much of that anymore, but collage is really um I don't know. It's sort of inspirational, transformative. You never know what you're going to get. You have to just sort of improvise with what you have. And I like working that way. Very cool. And was it more when you got into art school in college that you learned some other mediums like photography or had you dabbled in that prior? I did photography quite young. I uh, lived in DC by that time when I was in, um, I would say early high school. And I, went to the Corcoran Museum and took classes um, maybe when I was 14, 15 and learned photography there with some, you know, older professors and a program that was meant for maybe it was young adults or younger artists, but um, I excelled in photography and printmaking and um, started, was always painting on my own. And then I decided to go to an arts high school in 10th grade in DC. It was called Duke Ellington School of the Arts. And so it was a public school, but if you auditioned and got in, you could go. And I loved it because 
the academics were just the morning until noon. And then from after lunch until five o'clock every day, it was art programs. And so they had a good photography and painting program and sculpture, ceramics. And so I did all of that stuff and um, really enjoyed it. And it was great community of other awesome. It was sort of like the, the, um, the movie fame with the, mm-hmm the art school in New York city. So I was surrounded by people that were musicians and opera singers and um, amazing piano performers and just all kinds of um, Dave Chappelle, (laughs) all kinds of creative Mm. people were in my high school. That sounds super cool. Yeah. I I think it, it. (laughs) yeah, you would have, I mean, it was a little intense. I couldn't really hang out in the, um, cafeteria because it was a little intimidating. I mean, people would literally get on the tables and start dancing and singing. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is, it would be a really incredible environment to, to be in at that age, I think, especially as a creative spirit and yeah. just to have, have all that inspiration as well as the permission and freedom to just explore your artistic sides, no matter whether it's music or you know, any other, uh, anything that would fall under that blanket of creatives. That sounds, yeah, it's really a privilege actually. And I was aware of this acutely at the time because DC is um, mostly African-American and I was one of the very few white students in any of the public schools I went to, Mm -hmm. especially at Duke Ellington, I was in a minority and it was, um, very important for a lot of these kids. They were being bused from all over the city and from really poor neighborhoods to, to do their creative work. And they were incredibly talented. Most of them more talented than I was. And they, um, you know, struggled a lot of them to get to college from that Mm -hmm. place. And some, it was sort of like a football scholarship was sometimes the only way that poor kids could get to college and an art scholarship was one of them as well. Um, So I felt really privileged to be in a situation to benefit from that education as well and to go to college on a full scholarship so that I could follow my, you know, artistic dream. Uh, Even if that wasn't exactly what my dad had in mind for me, I think he wanted me to be a writer and go to a fancy Ivy League school or something, but I ended up going to New York City and um, just really benefiting from all of the art school environments that I found myself in, and the cities and the diversity and the um, complexity. And just, I learned so much from those years. So you went, uh, which school in New York did you go to? Cooper Union. Cooper so Union. It's, yeah. In the East village. And, uh, I'm not sure if it's free now, but it was founded as a free art school, I believe for women and then became co-ed and then, um, uh, was, was full scholarship when I went there. And then recently they had some issues, but I think now those, everybody has protested and reinstituted. Uh, hopefully the free tuition has come back. Nice. I hope so too. And tell me how you go from being an art student in college to showing art all over the world. <laughs> well, I was in New York city and Cooper union is a really awesome prestigious program. So once you get in, you're exposed to a lot of awesome artists who come both the teachers and the visiting professors um, were really well connected in the art world. And so 
we would um, participate sometimes in exhibits that were at galleries. And this was a time in New York City, I graduated in 1993, um, that was really intense and exciting. And in Soho, um, we would go groups of us to openings every night or, you know, every week um, during our school years. So during my school years, I was already interning and working at art galleries that I was interested in. And I really used the art world as a library. I would go into galleries and dig in and ask to see their archives and ask to learn more about any artists that I was interested in. I was mm -hmm. just like a sponge. And so I started to make friends with the people who worked at the art galleries. And then eventually I would ask if they had any jobs and you know, I might be offered a job to be an assistant to a really successful artist and I would learn how she did it. And, um, or I worked um, as an assistant to the gallery um, and learned how they did it. So I just saw it from all different sides. Um, and that really helped me both to connect with things, but I was not doing it from so much of the perspective of wanting to get a show so much as I was really in a deep learning mode of absorbing everything that I saw and heard and trying, it's just a, uh, it's a really um, interesting time in art. And um, I think as a younger person, I, I lived in DC. So I went to all of the art museums regularly. That was something my dad made a priority to force me to go to art museums as a teenager. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I, I was really steeped in, in um, old art history, but contemporary art history was just Im immense and so much to learn, especially arriving into New York um, with the recent art history from the 60s, 70s and 80s on each one being so full of radical change and developments and creative people. Um, so I had a lot to absorb and learn. And I felt like the, the galleries in Soho at that time, and then later in Chelsea were really a resource for me. Excellent. So that that's what, how I viewed it. And then as a result, I think I made contacts that respected me in that way. And we had great conversations, but in addition, I've always been extremely blessed with um, just magical circumstances and mm -hmm. the right people showing up at the right time. And some really famous people took me under their wing and really were kind to me or, you know, we had interesting interactions. And so I was able to um, see myself going much further um, more quickly. I feel like the universe meets you. So the more you put out and move in the direction of something that interests you or is calling to you, then the universe kind of meets you there. So you both are chipping into the journey, you know, um, and you sounded very, very motivated and driven in, in learn about learning and wanting to absorb a lot. And so at that time with so many inspiring artists who were some of your your top artists that inspired you or kind uh, well, of opened well, up your mind this is a funny thing a lot of the artists that I was inspired by were dead um so um and they were mostly women so Hannah Wilkie was one um she was a photographer and she had died of cancer 
after um, documenting her demise or her, you know, her experience with, with photography. And, uh, but she had also been a sort of radical feminist performer in the seventies in New York in the art scene. So I identified a lot with women feminist artists that were um, doing very personal work and would sometimes be judged harshly by the art world around them for being too personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they were speaking this sort of incredible universal truth about, um, you know, being a viewer or a voyeur or being an object, being objectified, having a voice, speaking out, taking back your voice, um, expressing things that are important to you, even if at that time they were not respected. So um, a lot of the women artists I was drawn to were very introspective. Another one was Ana Mendieta, who was also doing performative and photography work, and she had um, passed away or um, unclear exactly if she was killed by her partner, Carl Andre, or if she, um, you know, committed suicide, but in any case, that was quite a dramatic death. And then the other one was um, Francesca Woodman, who was also a female photographer, and she um, killed herself at quite a young age after making photographs that were very introspective and um, uh, beautiful sort of environmental um, investigations where she would go into an empty room or, a, or live in an apartment that was a bit decrepit and photograph her naked body with sort of the wallpaper falling off onto her. And it's just incredibly beautiful, um, emotive images um, from each of these artists, but they were using their bodies and their introspection to kind of tell a bigger story. Mm-hmm. And in none of these cases, was it particularly self-portraiture? Um, mm-hmm. So that really resonated with me. And at the time, that's what I found myself to be doing. Okay. Use, using my body as like the vehicle of communicating um, ideas. And uh, I felt in some ways, like I didn't want to use anyone else's body because that was a big responsibility. Um I don't know. I felt like that was something not quite right, maybe karmically or something. I just knew that I shouldn't use other people to model my ideas. And then in addition, I didn't want to use clothing and things that were like of this era. I wanted to have a more universal message. So I was also photographing myself naked a lot during that time and doing studio work. Um, and it was a bit performative and I was, um, very in I, I started a lot of my work before I discovered some of these artists, but my school had an awesome library and I would my teachers would be like, you need to go see Francesca Woodman's work. And I would dig in and be like, mm-hmm. oh wow. And I felt like it was having a communication, a conversation with a lot of these women artists. Um, and I look back at that now and find that kind of interesting given yeah. my current interests and um my current abilities, it was almost like I was connecting with spirits that weren't um, living anymore, but they were still, I felt like we were in dialogue. It wasn't so much like, oh, I want to emulate you. It was more like, oh no, we're, we're talking about the same thing. They just happen to not be here physically. Yeah. And the, and the conversation still needs to be had in the art world, you know, at that time in particular, and still now, like there was still a lot, um, 
and even my professors, sometimes the male professors would be like, well, why are you taking pictures of you? You're just trying to flirt with us. Or there was a misunderstanding every step of the way, yeah. you know, and a lot of um, extra work needed to be done to explain what the work was about and to yeah. try and bre- break through some of those um, sort of, you know, maybe sexist or just misinformed or um, also, you know, the, this feeling of like, oh, you're, you're naked. It must be, you know, sexual as opposed to like just investigating the human form or, um, or questioning one's presence in this body. Yeah. And and kind of like just another, um, oh, a canvas and, or a piece of paper to tell your story, or it's just another medium in which to convey a message. So yeah, I'm always have to be sexual <laughs> you know yeah yeah it's so it was interesting uh, it was, how that always tends to be the first thing and it's like it really has nothing to do with that you know and yeah times- in fact as I look back the the impetus for me taking my clothes off to take photographs around that age which would be like early 20s um, and for many years I guess until my 30s I photographed myself was really to Uh, almost like a spiritual quest to get to the bottom of who I am. Mm -hmm. Like, what are these hands? Like who, where did they come from? And trying to express a sort of deep emotional narrative from inside. And it was a a process, a performative process. So I called them performative photographs and I didn't always know what would happen And now that I look back, it does seem a bit like channeling energy Mm -hmm. um, because I was always uh, would get an image in my mind of something that I had to go do. And then I would go and sort of execute it. And sometimes later on, it was outside in nature. I moved to California and I was running around out in the mountains of Marin or, you know, outside of San Francisco and I would find a tree and I'd be like, oh, okay, I have to take off my clothes and I have to stand this way. And I have to, to, to photograph this image. And it's about this. And that. like, there was such a intense drive to complete these images. And I couldn't tell you why I just yeah. had to do them. Um, and I even took a trip to Hawaii in 2000 by myself and went to the volcano and I'm walking mm-hmm. along the path and I have my camera and it's a little square format Rolleiflex film camera and I have a tripod and I just had to, I just knew that I had to do this. So I put the camera on the tripod and I look around and nobody's there and I'm actually quite shy. I don't really feel like an exhibitionist at all. <laughs> and I, um, I take off all my clothes. I lie down on the ground. I take this amazing image and I'm also really sensitive to light and um, just composition. And so like in two seconds, I've got the light and the composition just the way I want it. I jump out there. I wrap myself around a tree. I'm lying on the ground naked and the timer goes off, or maybe I had like an extension and I pressed the the click. So I took all the images myself and Mm -hmm. I felt that was also important. And then I jump up, I put on my clothes and then this Japanese family of tourists walks by. (laughs) I was like, yeah, (laughs) good timing. And that image is really magical and very still and looks like a a ancient um, or not a, a Renaissance painting in a way. I'll have to send that to you. I would love to see it. I don't have any of my older work on my website at the moment, simply because I'm starting a new phase, but I'm at some point going to integrate back, adding all the things that I've had online for so many years. And um, that's a very large format photograph, but it, um, it just has these like 
still moments of like this beautiful light on my cheek and, you know, this twig that's kind of poking into my body and this sort of connection between the earth and the tree and my body and the volcano behind mm -hmm. me. And um, it's a very mystical practice. And I still am looking back, you know, 20 years later, wondering like what caused me to make that image? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much here, like going through my mind right now that I want to touch on. One is, well, one is at that point, 20 years ago, where were you on your spiritual journey? Because, um, you know, you have mentioned that you, you, for the longest time, tried to keep your artist self and your spiritual self kind of separate. But yet, that to me sounds like it was one and the same, even at that moment. So what was that looking like at the time? Did you realize that they were kind of one and the same or playing a role within each other? Yeah, I did not at that time. In 2002, I had a spiritual awakening. And from that point on, I was conscious. But before that, I was um, remotely interested in yoga. And I wrote about this a little bit on my website with a sort of trying to trace my spiritual development. And I guess in 1997, I had a motorcycle accident in Brooklyn headed to New York City. And I almost died. And I feel like that was a pivotal moment of choosing to live. So then from that point on, as I was healing, I started, um, a friend of mine took me to a yoga, integral yoga, you know, studio in New York. And I saw pictures of spiritual beings mm -hmm. and it, like, uh, saw like, oh, people do yoga. That was sort of an introduction to me of any kind of spiritual practice. And I used it to sort of heal and maybe learn to meditate or ground myself, but I was very um, much in a mentality of, you know, an atheistic worldview, very politically active. I was like a, in a group called the Lesbian Avengers. You know, I had done a lot of political protests. I was um, suspicious of any kind of spirituality as being a part of the establishment that we were all busy revolting against, right. you know, because I viewed it as a religious thing. Um, although quite young, when I was like in my teens, I did um, have a very strong sort of Christian interest and mm -hmm. an awareness of God. And I went to all kinds of, I tried like 15 different churches in DC by myself, like ranging from ranging from the like Southern Baptist to the uptight Episcopal or the Protestant or like whatever. There was so many different kinds of religions. I wanted to go check them all out and none of them really resonated for me, but yeah. I, I did have an interest in God until I got to art school. And then, you know, my very, postmodern critical angry teacher kind of slapped that out of me and I was like oh <laughs> like if you're a feminist you can't believe in god i don't know where oh, wow. I got that idea That's um, interesting so i think i just grew up in a very polemical way of thinking it was either or mm -hmm. and um so i've made a lot of mistakes along the way just misunderstandings based yeah. on these assumptions of like you can either be this or that yeah. And so that changed a lot of the art that I was making, changed a lot of the interests I would have pursued. Otherwise, I came into art school as a more sort of um, open, like um, 
I was making sculptures that had a lot of sewing and I was cutting up canvases and sewing them back together and um, just really interested in material and exploring things more like I am now, but um, then it got really harsh. And I think the introduction of this idea of critique really cut me down. Um, And also at the same time, I attached myself to it because it seemed really empowering. Like you could criticize anyone and you could be the better and you could know more. And I got seduced, I think, by that sort of intellectual criticism that was so prevalent and really, really interested in the identity politics of the time because I had grown up in DC. I was also really drawn to, you know, sort of, I think black identity politics and, um, you know, sort of, Um, just so much was being written at the time that was so simultaneously liberating and putting people in boxes. So I was super inspired, but also disempowered to be my own, my come from my own true interest. Uh, So it's, it's it's fascinating to look back at and I don't regret any of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I would say that like spiritual was not a word that was in my lexicon when I took that photograph in Hawaii in 2000. But I did feel for the first time during that trip, a sort of uh, energetic awareness. Like I flew to the big island and I remember feeling very uh, uncomfortable and disjointed. And like, there was a weird vibration. It just felt really unpleasant. And I recognize that as being something to do with the lava and the newness of the Island being super sharp and jagged. And then I cut my trip short, but I went to Kauai for two days just to check it out before going back to California and on Kauai, I, as the plane landed, I went from being really agitated to being so calm and so peaceful Mm. and mellow So interestingly enough, I'm currently, and I, and I made some photographs there that were so different and were Mm -hmm. really deeply connected to more of like a mother earth feeling and, and, and very beautiful golden yellow colors. And so now I am actually moving there in three weeks (laughs) to Kauai because I feel drawn from Maui where I am now to that Island for the same reason, just this recognition that the energy is more aligned for me feels good, more creativity, more expansion. Um, And so it's interesting how, even though I didn't really have a spiritual lexicon, I, I felt it in my body and I've always, I've always been a a sort of um, tactile learner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I got to have the message given to me in a very physical way to get it. I do want to, digress just for a second, because I know just reading through your website, you have moved a lot frequently. And I am just so curious, how, how have you been able to do that with family and everything going on? Are you just really called to do it and you just trust it? Or yeah, yeah, because I'm like, wow, you move a lot and there's no judgment to that. It's just it's not typically always easy to do, especially with kids and if, if partner just with work and different things. So how have you been able to make that work? Um, well, I think it started when I was a child <laughs> because my, um, my dad moved every year, I would say 
various circumstances, but in some ways, maybe, you know, we didn't have a lot of money or something. He did have access to money, but he refused it. And so we would just move from apartment to apartment as his job changed or where he was working. So I got used to that rhythm. Um, I think maybe the longest I lived in the place was like four or five years. And, that, and then otherwise it was every year that we would move. And so I was used to that. And then um, I think that continued through college and through adulthood. Maybe I would stay one or two years, but um, it's always been an impetus. And then when I moved to LA in 2006 and my husband and I were married in 08, we tried and he grew up also overseas um, moving quite often with his parents Um so we were conscious of that and we tried to force ourselves to stay in one place for several years. So we built a house in LA that we helped to design. And he was also the general contractor and helped to build it. And then we tried to stay there as long as we could. I think it was four years. And then, and I think he would have stayed longer, but I'm always looking for the place where I am meant to be, I'm following the energy of like, oh, where am I supposed to go? And in the last two years, I have had uh, more psychic tools to help me do that. So I just got an intuitive hit even before I started being conscious of, of being intuitive or studying any psychic work. I knew that I needed to move back to New York. Um, I think it was also because a uh, an acquaintance of mine had passed away and she was a mother of cancer. And I just felt like a self assessment, like, what do I want to do if I only have one year to live? Mm-hmm. Like, did I do everything I wanted to do? Did I impart the information that I needed to my children? Did I follow through on my dreams? And I think I had felt that I had left some work undone in New York city when I left in 2000. And I did, I walked away from all my contacts. I just felt like I couldn't make work in New York. It became too harsh and intense and too critical. And my work was getting squished and I was losing my ability to be creative. So even though I was very successful in New York and I had a lot of opportunities and connections in the art world, I really did walk away from it to move to California where in turn, I did learn how to get connected and become spiritual and meditate and learn yoga and all the stereotypical California things that you might need (laughs) in life. And then I felt like I was coming back to New York with this new awareness of like who I am, almost like I needed to go somewhere else and grow up so that I could Mm -hmm. come back and really do my work rather than get distracted by the energy. So when I left New York after having only just moved there in September of, um, was it 2019? Um, I left because of COVID. And so we were in an apartment and we just couldn't stay. And so then it became this hunt for like, where should we go? And um, I went upstate and actually I got a a reading from um, a psychic who told me, um, she's an angel communicator. And she said that I really needed to be in the, in nature in order to do my work. And I, at the time I was like, no, that's not going to work. I'm going back to New York. I'm definitely going back to New York. <laughs> um, so it was, there was some encouragement and I worked with many different um, healers and, and guides along the way in that year, um, helping me to learn how to clear spaces energetically. Cause we were moving from space to face. It wasn't actually a choice. I, if I could have moved to a single place and stayed, I would have, 
but it wasn't, you know, these were short-term rentals that weren't available mm. much longer. Okay. And so at each place, like we tried to settle in and it wouldn't align, you know, the person would say like, yeah, you can stay for the year. And then, oops, I've decided to sell the building. That's that craziness. Time. And so then it was like each point we were moved to the next place. I would learn something at each location. And then it, I had a meditation that showed me to move to Maui. So I followed that, even though another, um, intuitive person I worked with said, no, that's not a line. Two people told me not to move to Maui, but I felt deep in my heart that it was the right move creatively Uh and spiritually. And so I did having never been here. And then I really took off and really opened up to my abilities. Awesome. So it's with that same impetus that I'm considering my next move. It's like listening to the guidance, even when you're not sure why. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. Often it needs to make sense to us and that's not really how it works. <laughs> Usually <laughs> you, it doesn't all make sense. You just have to trust that, that just that inner calling or that whatever is calling out to you and kind of pulling you in that direction. I think learning to trust that is huge and, and not needing to know fully where, what it's leading to, but just trusting that there's something there for you is a big, big part of why I'm doing this podcast, because I think it takes a lot of courage to listen to that. And, uh, and just the unknown is scary, but that it, there's usually something there, even if it's just the first step in a long series of steps to get to some, something else that, that really isn't in line with your with your soul's purpose. And it's wonderful that you have that support of your family and that you all are able to move through this process together in that way. I think that's wonderful and what a gift. And um, so was it really, you know, in hindsight, you can look back and see the ways that you had psychic abilities and, and that, your intuition was trying to guide you, but maybe you didn't see it at the time. Was it when you moved to Maui that that became more apparent or when in, in this timeline, did you really start to recognize that you have some psychic ability that you can learn how to utilize that? I would say about three months ago, it hit me fully. I was like, oh, this is real. I've been using my intuition my whole life and I've been conscious that I was slightly different from most people for my whole life. But I, I just thought it was my special skill. Like people would say, you know, oh, it's cool talking to you because you always finish my sentences. Or I mean, some people don't like it because I would interrupt because I know mm-hmm. what they're saying. I know what they're thinking. Um, and I think this last intense year of of surrender to sort of a divine or to source, you know, I think COVID was a great gift for me in that way. It just really scared the hell out of me in the beginning. And then I had to dig my way out of that intense fear Mm -hmm. and make choices about how do I want to live? How do I want to teach my children? How do I want to express myself in this world. And like, it felt like everything got taken away because I moved to New York to make art again in that context. And I was on the verge of signing a lease for a studio 
and I was on the verge of like making really big work and having studio visits. And I, I had all these plans and then literally the day I was going to sign the lease, it became clear that we couldn't even leave the house. It was so dangerous, Yeah, you know, and 5,000 people passed away and within a month in my zip code, not, not talking the rest of Brooklyn, just my neighborhood. Hmm. So it wasn't even safe to go to that studio. Um, wasn't safe for us to get on the bus to walk down the street. Like it was so dangerous in, in that um, moment. And also the unknown. And so um, I think I rode on that fear for a little while, but then once I was safe and upstate, it was more like a reassessment of like, well, we have no like income from that source. Like I was, I was on a train, you know, and the train got stopped and I had to re reinvent myself. And I think what I noticed was that I saw the work I was going to make in New York in that studio. It flashed before my eyes when I was in the studio, even though I didn't sign the lease, like I saw it on the wall and it was almost like I had done it. It existed. And I felt a sense of completion. Mm. I didn't get to share it with the world, but it was like, I did what I need to do and now it's time to move on. So I, I was just getting so much intuitive guidance every step of the way and becoming more and more aware of my surroundings every step of the way that it was like a summer of, of, of learning. And by the time I got to Maui, you know, also looking at apartments nonstop for two years and houses and places to move, like before Ina, any of these moves to New York, I spent like a year looking for a place to live mm -hmm. and um, I would tune into them psychically and also with the people I've worked with to say like, is this aligned? So I was learning through my process okay. and that I think helped me to get a lot of skills. So I would say I've been doing about two years of actual psychic development training, um, using my life as the subject. <laughs> and I would say only about three months ago that I feel like, Oh, wow, that's incredible that I just did a reading for someone. And it was all spot on and helped them. Yeah. So when you were doing your kind of developing your psychic training, did you know that's what you were doing or were you just like, no, honing, I was trying to make the right decision. Yeah. I was trying yeah. to have a better life by seeing problems before they showed up. Like, Oh, yeah. is this house infested with ghosts? Okay. I don't want to live there. <laughs> yeah. Or is it pot? Okay. I chose an apartment. I signed a lease and we moved into a place that did have a lot of spirit activity and a super negative energy. What do I do now? And how do I clear that? And I worked with a variety of people mm -hmm. to learn about that. And, um, that to me was like huge. Like, first of all, I didn't even know that that existed. And then second of all, now I'm working on clearing that. And yeah. um, I was learning on a whole different level, metaphysical level, and also becoming aware of people's energies and whether things are aligned or not aligned. And then I realized I was really empathic. And that explained to me why I have um, a hard time functioning in large groups mm -hmm. or busy places or on a bus in New York. Mm -hmm. And so it helped me to understand why moving to the middle of the ocean might be really beneficial. <laughs> yeah. It kind of makes sense in hindsight. Right. And yeah. And I wanted to mention one other thing when you asked about my family, which is that I think my, uh, consciousness really affects the, my family. And so, especially my children. And so as I took more ownership of my connection to source and making choices from that guidance, they fell in with that as well. And I tried wherever we go to make 
myself their home. So um, having the same rituals every night, you know, teaching them the practices I'm learning, mm-hmm. sharing with them, you know, clearing and um, energetic healing techniques and meditations and helping them to feel grounded and recognizing their struggles, but also just holding that space. Like you're safe. We're safe no matter where we are. Mm-hmm. Almost like instilling a belief that location and physical surroundings are not the primary place in which we judge our sense of self and safety in the world. Sure. So sure. without realizing it, I was developing this other um, resilience. And in some ways I felt I was forced to do that by circumstances, but in other ways, what a beautiful thing that they now have. And as we're preparing for our next move, I have some anxiety about that for them. And turns out they're both totally on board and ready to go and excited. Excellent. So they're more resilient than the adults usually. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the truth with children? (laughs) That's, that seems to be the case. And as you were in Maui, it sounds like that was kind of like an aha moment or the, the light went off. Like I have this ability and not only do you want to utilize it for your highest good, but the highest good of others. And then also to kind of allow that art and the healing modalities to be spoken about together and to show others that they can be utilized together. And that seems to be what the podcast is about. Yes. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, this understanding of intuition and creativity being so linked and just, I had never talked about it in that way and really conceived of it. And then also this awareness that a lot of times artists feel um, like they just have to do what they're good at, but they don't realize all these things that you could do to make yourself even better at it by protecting your energy or getting grounded or um, feeling free to talk about spirituality out loud in this context where it's not always considered very cool. Um, so I had always really kept my spiritual interests and development, especially from 2000 on completely secret and, um, didn't know how to integrate that into my art world sort of mentality. And then I got the message here that it was really important to do that. And boy, was that hard to do. It was like coming out of the closet and like, Oh, got to force myself. So I, I took down my whole website, which used to just be, you know, an archive of all my work and Mm -hmm. my CV and, you know, my bio and blah, blah, blah. And it was just a different version of me. Um, and I just started again, which is like, I'm offering readings. I'm offering Reiki. I do animal communication and I paint and guess what? I'm channeling messages from artists. Um, and so, you know, my practice is still like my real purpose is to make art, but I also found that I'm a teacher of sorts in, in Mm -hmm. this realm. And so I can share with people that are creative, how to integrate their, um, sort of, connection to the divine or connection to source their the thing that brings the inspiration through to them mm-hmm. that it's okay to expand upon your understanding of that and it can inform all parts of your life and the word psychic is not a bad word actually it's totally cool and empowering that you can see what's coming and look at your past and understand karmic patterns and 
you can channel things in your artwork from, you know, like just that you have so many more choices and that we are operating on so many more levels than we're often conscious of. So I'm trying to bring consciousness to those, those activities. I think you're doing that in a beautiful way that just how you describe that, it, it, it really conveys truly what that is in a, in a beautiful way. Just it's letting what I call, I guess, divine energy or universal energy coming through you and in a, in various ways and forms and, and everybody has, nothing's too small and, and nothing's too grand that it's all for a purpose and to be open to that and not have it be taboo or so black and white or, or separated. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, it's, I guess I've always had a feeling the art world in New York, especially for whatever reason, it's like this high art and very judgy and which is weird to me because art itself and the creation of art to me is the opposite of that. It's just an expression through you of something. And I've never understood good art or bad art. I've always thought you can't judge it. It speaks to somebody, even if it's one person, that's the whole point is that it, it has a purpose in its form. So I, I think I could see why that would be, feel very vulnerable to step outside of that paradigm that you lived in for so long or functioned or painted or, you know, created your different uh, works of art and then, and then be able to put it together so beautifully and the courage that it would take to do that. I mean, that had to have felt scary when you took down that one website and you started working on the new one and you're like, here I am. And this is, this is me right now. Yeah, so how it's... did you move through that fear or was there much fear about it? Did you feel really comfortable and confident? You know, I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm still a little polemical because I, once I figure out that something is the right thing to do, I will do it no matter how uncomfortable it is. Um, and that is how I've always been. And that's why I took those photographs of myself mm -hmm. naked in college. I did not want to be seen naked, like really unpleasant, but I knew it was the right thing to do. So I was following mm -hmm. this like inner inspiration, this guidance, this push, this like, I must, I don't know why, but I must. Um, and so I think that is what propelled me now. I did have a lot of guidance and support, you know, mm -hmm. also from people that uh, particularly Laura Powers helping me mm -hmm. with um, connecting with, with the directions from angels and guides that were just like, you can do this. This is who you are. You have so much to offer and why hide? Yeah. Why pretend? And um, it was fearful, but mostly once I heard the message, it was like, got to do it. I know it's unpleasant, mm -hmm. but just, you know, hold your breath and jump. Yeah. Um, and so in doing it, there's sort of a excitement too of like, I know that if I take this leap of faith, I'm opening myself up to so much more. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And then I realized that it's not like I'm leaving my art career to do this. I'm actually 
finally fully being myself mm-hmm. in a context that is meaningful to me and um, the other context, which may be the art world or the art career would certainly come around if, if what I'm doing is of value and interesting and speaks to people, mm-hmm. then it's like, I really have something to offer. There were some situations where I had the opportunity to show in really good art galleries and I didn't take up the offer at a younger age because I didn't know what I had to say. I wasn't willing to just have a show with a famous art dealer and flop and like make art that I didn't respect, Mm -hmm. even if other people liked it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've always had that sort of inner knowing that what I have to share is really important and I need to be sharing from the heart and it has to be authentic and it has to be helpful. Otherwise I'm not going to let myself fully speak out. And, and so I've always had a hard time fully shining because I wasn't having the tools to speak from the heart. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. and now I feel like at least that's what carries me through is that connection to that inner knowing that what I'm doing is aligned for me, even though it's uncomfortable for some of the things that I've learned and the identity that I've taken on and probably my family, um, and a lot of the people I know might be like, she's totally nuts, but at least I um, offered my service in the, the deepest, most truthful way that I could think of at this time. Yeah. yeah. And what you else feel... is there? I mean, and also the funny thing was like, well, how did I do before when I wasn't authentically myself? Not so great. Yeah. Like I wasn't happy. I never got the recognition that I deserved or wanted. Um and I wasn't um, connecting with people that I really respected and I wasn't yeah. surrounded by art that inspired me. So now that I'm feeling more authentic, I feel so much more empowered to go and discover, you know, yeah. where I can, like, I imagine myself traveling the world to meet other brilliant teachers of consciousness or something and make art along the way. And that sounds way more fun to me than going to an art fair where I'm trying to get someone to look at my work by going to have a drink or something boring. Like, yes, I think it sounds absolutely exciting. Like I can feel your excitement and it's wonderful. And, and I think too, a couple of words that popped into my head were authentic and integrity and vulnerable. And those are all great things, you know, and to have that all coming together, of course, it feels exciting. And I, I'm super excited for you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I also want to, you, you're writing a, it's so funny because prior to our meeting today, I was thinking, I feel like she's going to write a book. And then, (laughs) and then I was, uh, you know, giving your bio and I'm like, yep, there it is. There's the book. So tell me more about that. Well, I think, so the book, I think it's going to be called God was not cool in art school. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I got to write it as a reflection of that time in my life. It's sort of what we started to talk about at the beginning. There's so much there, like there's nothing to leave behind. Um, There, there was so many amazing lessons, amazing artwork, amazing experiences, but it was a time when I wasn't conscious of my gifts and my special sort of 
you know, guidance that I get, that I get brought to these special, but I knew that amazing things would happen to me wherever I go. So I just mm-hmm. had to show up and something awesome would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't fully aware of how to harness all of it. So I wanted to write a book about um, the things that happened. It's sort of an autobiography of that period of my life about going to school in New York in the late eighties, early nineties, and um, what came out of it and the ways in which I turned off my intuition Mm -hmm. and my inner knowing um, with the pursuit of um, uh, intellectual and conceptual art sort of development, um, sort of looking at maybe the undercurrent is more deeply, not just the stories of what literally happened, but at how creativity um, and inspiration and intellectual sort of rigor in our society has gotten separated from a more intuitive, spiritual, or I got to get my words out straight because there's so many layers to this, but Mm -hmm. uh, separated from uh, inner knowing and, you know, being cool with being interested in something called God or universal energy or consciousness that, I mean, like you said, they're completely linked. It's absurd to think that they're not, everybody knows they are. And yet our current state in terms of talking about art is to be really cold and analytical and critical of anything that might be intuitive or crafty or emotive or you know there's like this love hate this like oh the, you know amazing abstract expressionist painter but you know we're really critical um yeah. so I, I feel like there i just need to come to terms with that and through writing the book i will I'll be able to connect and and not throw out you know the baby with the bathwater or not leave behind any of the amazing people and moments and things that I learned. Um, and I think I would ultimately like to work with a lot of artists, living artists um, in this way, like helping mm-hmm. artists or doing readings for artists or connecting with them. And um, I'm sure there's many artists who are successful and creative and intellectual and spiritual and uh, mm-hmm. have this great understanding of consciousness. You know, I feel like when you look back at history and you read someone's biography, you learn a lot about that side of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, a lot of artists today don't get to talk about that. So I'd like to create a space for that. I think that's great. I think that's great and needed. I, you know, sadly, I think a lot of people are very disconnected from their intuition that they don't recognize it or they don't give it um any value. And I think that's incredibly detrimental to humanity. So I think through your work, as well as a lot of other people's work, hopefully it'll, it'll kind of bring people to that connection within themselves, to that gift that is intuition to, to really serve their life and the lives of others in a positive way, for sure. Um, It feels like that intuition arrived because I was an artist that I was able to learn about it and get better at it through art making the actual practice of Mm -hmm. art making and that's where I learned it first and then I was able to expand and transfer it into other parts of my life and the world and so I guess that's what that's my access point and that's why I feel like I should work with artists and creative people that's awesome I love that I can't wait to see your book too, as well as some of your, your um, archived art once that's up and out again, 
I look forward to, to seeing it. Is there anything else you want to share about your journey right now? Um, gosh, what a good question. <laughs> I guess I'm just extremely grateful for um, all of the people that have helped me along the way and just sort of even though we let go of a lot of people as we move and we progress, I can see the different ways in which, you know, even the hardships have helped me. Mm -hmm. um, and so even though I'm not in touch with a lot of people now, and I don't particularly want to be, <laughs> I'm also grateful for what I learned from that. Absolutely. And so I just want to like send blessings, you know, yeah. forward and backwards in time. Um, I think it's, I'm learning to have really good boundaries and to be able to operate as a super empathic person in the world is challenging. And, yeah. um, so I just, I feel like a lot of compassion for even things and people that, um, I've interacted with, or I may write about that don't feel aligned anymore. Mm -hmm. I still really value that knowledge and experience and interaction. Absolutely. I think that's important. And I think, there's such a resistance to being grateful for something or someone or a time that was painful or challenging or difficult. And I'm a firm believer that it, it all has purpose for us and there are gifts within that. And um, so I think it's, it's good and okay to, to say it's, you're good with it, you know, that it's, yeah. It's part of the journey. It doesn't mean you have to still be a part of it or have it celebrated in your life daily or anything like that. So I'm super uh, glad not to be suffering in this moment, you know, yeah, but yeah, I look, sure. I look back at the last year and a half and I think, well, that was an awesome journey. And thank goodness that I got help along the way and was able to dig myself out of it, for mm -hmm. example. And because of that, like, I feel that strength and I'm able to take the next step of like, okay, I'm doing this thing. I have no idea what's going to happen, but look at the last six months, look how great mm -hmm. it worked out when I did this repeatedly. So yeah. it's like that repetition of taking that leap of faith and trusting and always um, opening up to that next potential like miracle or amazing thing that might happen to you if you're willing to let it manifest. And so I'm really trying to learn how to do that now more consciously. That's excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you sharing just your story and where you're at and what's coming next. I can't wait to see. I'm excited for you, Sarah. And I appreciate you sharing such an inspirational story. I'm sure you'll connect your, your words and your purpose will connect with a lot of our listeners. So. I'm Thank you so much. That. You're welcome. I look forward to all the wonderful things that are going to come. Same, same for you. Thank you. So much of what Sarah shared today resonated with me. And I want to share what those things were. So I'm just going to repeat some of the things she said. Accidental teacher. Listen to guidance, even when you're not sure why. Seduction of intellectual criticism. Follow the energy of where to go, where I need to be. We are operating on so many more levels than we are often conscious of. 
Consciousness really affects my family and my children. I don't know why, but I must. Living authentically leads to feeling empowered. Integrating our connection to source into our art. And I know if I take this leap of faith, I am opening myself up to so much more. I hope you too found something here that resonates with you and inspires you to move into the direction of that which is calling to you. If you did, please share this podcast with friends and family, subscribe or follow, leave a comment or a review or a rating. All of that helps me reach more listeners. Thanks so much and much love.